Good morning and welcome to the NCSA Mental Health Devotion. My name is Nandi Fleming and I'll be your host for this morning's worship. Before we start, let us just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you care so much about us, Lord, that you came to this world to give your life in ransom for ours. Lord, that you made a trade for us so that we could have eternal life. And Lord, that you took death in our place. And we thank you, Lord. Today, Lord, we would like to show our gratitude and our thankfulness and our loyalty to you for all that you have done for us. And we thank you and we praise you for you are mighty, you are worthy. And Lord, you are so worthy of the honor that we give you each day. Lord, bless us now as we are going to listen to this talk is my prayer in your name. Amen. I'd like to read for you for our verse this morning from the book of Luke chapter 10 verse 27. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. The title for my talk this morning is One for All and All for One. So today we're kicking off season two officially of the NCSA Mental Health Devotions. And I'd like to thank those of you who have joined us for season one up until episode number 103. And as we go now from episode 100 up until 200, I'd like to invite you to join us once again. For those of you who are listening on podcast, welcome once again. For those of you who are following us on WhatsApp, um, um, welcome once again. And as we kick off the season two, we are also kicking it off today with a communion, an audio-led communion. Now, if you haven't prepared to partake in this communion, do not be worried. Um, you can still listen to the message that is coming with it and if you would at a later stage like to prepare to do this communion you can do that also so let's start our talk for today then so as i said the title for today's talk is all for one and one for all so I remember when I was younger, I used to watch this little children's story called The Three Musketeers. And in the story, three brave knights, you know, had a creed by which they used to live. And they always used to shout it out loud where they shouted all for one and one for all. Now, this creed, I never really understood. It was a relationship creed um, where they were saying basically that we are there for each other and that we have made a pact to defend and assist each other and that we belong to a group where we defend one another and defend others. All for one and one for all. And this is why I decided to entitle the talk for today, not all for one and one for all, but one for all and all for one. And I'll explain this a little bit later as we go. As God's children, we too have a creed like these three musketeers. And this creed is found in the book of Luke chapter 10 verse 27. A relationship creed where we basically declare that we are for God and that we are for each other. That we form part of the body of Christ and that we belong to one another and that we are there to defend each other and that we are there to assist each other in this relationship promise or covenant that we have made with one another and the covenant is really where it says that we promise to love the Lord our God with all our heart with all our soul our strength and our mind and not only to love God but to love our neighbor as ourself 
You see, this is really a relationship creed, as I said. Um, and, and the reason why this relationship creed is important for us as God's children is because our relationship with God, as well as with our fellow man, was destroyed when sin entered into this world. And I think that the most important thing that we need to realize about sin is that it has cut us off from God and our relationship with him, and that it has made us enemies with one another. We see in the world today where there's so much infighting amongst God's children with one another and even with other people as well. We see that our relationship with God and with each other has been tarnished. It has been destroyed by sin. And we see that our direct communion and communication with God as well as with each other is no longer what it used to be in the beginning of the creation of this world. And the greatest purpose of why Jesus came to this world is to reestablish that lost connection. To reestablish that lost communion, that lost relationship between God and man. And this is why Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments in this creed in Luke 10, 27, where he says, Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Come together once again, he calls us. He says, come and let's establish a covenant. Let's establish a creed where we make a promise to one another to say, despite the fact and the effects of sin upon our communion and our communication with one another, we are making a promise to one another that we will stick with one another through thick and through thin. One for all and all for one. Throughout the Bible, we see various covenants that God made with his people. Covenants that are basically promises to reestablish this relationship. To say, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. Will you be my people? A kind of one for all and all for one. A covenant is basically a creed or a promise between two or more people. Now you see, this creed that I'm speaking about in the Three Musketeers when I was young, I never really understood this creed until recently, while reading about what God does for us in the heavenly sanctuary, I realized that there is a work that he does for us. There is a work that he has already done for us in dying and forgiving and interceding on our behalf because of our sins. There's a work that he has done for us, one for all. Jesus did something for us in dying for us. He as one person did something for all of us. And in response because of this, we should then all be for one. We should all then be for him. There is a work that we also need to do for him while we are here on earth. In heaven right now, he is working to reestablish your relationship with God the Father, to grant you access into heaven. That's his part of the covenant. But you see, there's a part in the covenant that you and I have to play as well. And the part that we have to play is to give ourselves to God's cause. As Jesus has given himself for our cause, our cause in saving our lives from sin. And the greatest praise that we can give God is to offer ourselves as consecrated channels through which God can work. You see, he asks for our whole heart. So why not should we give it to him? When he asks for our intellect, why should we not give it to him? When he asks for our wealth, we should give it to him.
You see, Corinthians 6 verse 19 and 20 tells us that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Jesus put down and laid down his part of the creed, his part of the covenant, of the relationship, where he said, I have done everything that I can for you in order to reestablish this relationship. Now there's a part that you need to do as well, where God says there's certain things that I ask from you. And today, God asks us to be absolutely and completely for him. As he is one for all, we should be all for one he says as i have sacrificed i am now asking you to sacrifice in return and in this world as he is for you may you also then be for him the creed of our lives the covenant that we are re-establishing with god today is to say jesus is for all of us we know this we've seen it in his death and therefore all of us therefore is for jesus we are for him we live for him we breathe for him we move for him everything that we do whether we eat whether we drink whether we sleep is to honor and to glorify his name So basically, the covenant is there to reestablish the lost relationship that was caused by sin. The covenant is there that we are going to partake of today. A reestablishment of this covenant is basically doing communion. The covenant that we established with Jesus when we were baptized, when we said, Lord, we are your children and you are our God and we want to declare it publicly in front of everybody. Um, Basically, the communion is a reestablishment of this covenant relationship to say, Lord, once again, we are making this promise that we are still in it for the long run. We are still all for you as you are for us. And we see once again that the Bible tells us that communion is part of this covenant. In Mark 14 verse 24, it says, after Jesus, you know, took the cup and took the bread and he blessed and he thanked and he said to his disciples, partake of it. He said, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it is poured out as a sacrifice for many. In other words, here Jesus is saying that the communion is a reestablishing of that covenant to say that God is our God and we are declaring by partaking of the communion that God is our God and that we are his people. It is a reestablishment of the covenant by his blood. So before we are going to actually go into reestablishing this covenant with God and to partake of the communion today, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about a covenant, just to give you more of an idea of what you are going to be reestablishing, what you are going to be promising today by partaking of the communion. And I want to talk to you about covenants. Throughout the Bible, there has been various places where covenants have been made between God and his people. And the first place we see this taking place is in the book of Genesis chapter 9 verse 9 and also in Genesis 16 verse 18 where God establishes his first covenant with Noah and he says that this covenant is an everlasting covenant the covenant that he did not just make with Noah but that he makes between Noah between his wife and his kids and all of his children to come all the seed of Noah and also with every living creature that was upon the earth during that time and the promise that he made to them is he said to them that he would deliver them from the flood that would soon come upon the earth he promises them safety and he says to him that uh, after the flood takes place apart from protecting them from the flood that there will never again be a flood and his condition for them to be delivered is that they would go into the ark that they would enter into the ark and the ark would keep them safe and a token that is given after the flood about this covenant for this promise is the rainbow in the sky that God gave them as a memorial as a reminder of the covenant 
covenant that he made with them that he will never again cover the earth with a flood water like he did during the flood of Noah. So here we see a few things. We see that there are certain parties involved in a covenant. In the covenant of Noah, it is Noah and his family and all living creatures and all his prosperity after that. And then we see that not only is it a, a covenant, a promise between God and certain people, but there is a specific promise. And in the promise of Noah, we see that it is deliverance from the flood for, fa- for Noah and his family and all the animals that was on the ark. But it is also a promise that there will never again be such a flood. And the condition for them to be um, sort of like delivered and saved is that they enter into the ark. And then we see that there is a token. And this kind of pattern is followed throughout the covenants that God made with his people throughout the Bible. That there are certain parties that are entering into the covenant. That um, there is a promise from God's side that what he will do from his side of the covenant. And then there is a condition and a, a promise that we need to make from our side in order to enter into this relational covenant. And then there's usually a token or some kind of practice that needs to be partaken of in order for this covenant to be established. As we look at the various covenants that was made throughout the Bible, there is an interesting pattern that arises. There is usually when it comes to a covenant, um, a fact that a covenant is usually everlasting. It's usually not just for the person that the covenant is made with, but the promise is extended to their children and their grandchildren and all of their descendants. We also see that there usually is a promise from God's side of some kind of a deliverance, some kind of promise of land or an inheritance. And there's usually a promise that God says that we will become his specific people, his peculiar people, his children, and that he will be their God. There's always some kind of condition of obedience from our sides to the Lord in order to establish this covenant. And as I said, there's usually a token or a sign or a memorial or some kind of um, ritual that one partakes of in order to establish this covenant. So the next covenant that I just want to highlight for you is the covenant that God makes with Abraham and with his prosperity, with his descendants. God makes a promise, a covenant, an everlasting covenant, the Bible says, with Abraham in Genesis 15 verse 18 and in Genesis 17 verse 2 where he says I will multiply your descendants you will have kings as children and he says that this covenant this everlasting covenant that he makes with Abraham will not just be for him but it will be for all his children if they keep the conditions of the covenant and this is the covenant he says I will give you land I will be your God and you will be my people so we see a specific relationship promise coming out of this covenant this covenant this promise this creed that is made between God and Abraham is as God is saying that I will give you land I will give you good things but the point of this all is is that I will be your God and you will be my people in Genesis 17 verse 9 he says if you keep my covenant in other words if you keep your side of the bargain and the token that God gave Abraham as a as a sort of sign that God will be their God and they will be his people was circumcision where he said that all the boys eight days old should be circumcised in order to show that they belong to the Lord. Then we see that the history of the Bible, you know, the Israelites grow, they multiply, they end up in Egypt as slaves. And we see that while they are in Egypt, that they sort of stop obeying the conditions of the covenant. They sort of stop obeying God's voice. They sort of stop obeying his commandments. Although back then they didn't have the Ten Commandments as such, but they started doing all kinds of things that were not according to the word of God. And we see that God comes to the people of Israel. They don't come to him. Yes, 
they cried for him for deliverance. But God comes to the people of Israel and he comes to them and he promises them deliverance. In Exodus chapter 12, God promises and makes a new, renewed, established covenant with the people of Israel. Where he says to them, he promises them in Exodus 12 once again that he will deliver them. Just like he promised to deliver Noah from the flood. He says, I will deliver you. And once again, he promises to give them land. In Exodus 6 verse 4, he says that he will remove them from Egypt and he will take them to Canaan, the promised land. Just like he promised land to Abraham when he made the covenant with him, just like he established a relationship with Abraham, now he comes to the children of Israel and he says to them that he will make them his peculiar people. Exodus 19 verse 5. He says, you will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation unto me. In other words, once again, we see now after a sort of falling away with God, you know, a kind of dwindling. We see God coming through Moses and reestablishing this covenant in Exodus chapter 19. And the way that he establishes is, is he establishes a feast. He says, I'm going to set you free. And in, in a remembrance of the original covenant of circumcision that you had with me, you have been circumcising your children while you are here in Egypt. But I want to remind you of your part of the covenant, your condition for this covenant that we made with one another. Our relationship the, the 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 kind of condition is that you need to obey me exodus 19 verse 5 he says to them you should obey my voice and you should keep my covenants and he establishes the feast of the unleavened bread where he says in exodus 12 verse 14 that he is establishing this feast that they should celebrate each year at the specific time um, in order to remember that the lord had set them free and that the lord had promised them that he will take them to canaan to the promised land and and he delivers them. He brings them out of Egypt. And in Exodus 19, we see that um, Israel arrives at Mount Sinai. And as they arrive at Mount Sinai, God establishes this covenant that he made with them once again. He renews it once again. He does not just remind them this time, but he makes a new renewal where he says, I want you to be my holy people, my covenant people, and I will be your God if you obey my voice and keep my covenant. And in Exodus 19 verse 5 and onwards, we see Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, you know, saying, yes, Lord, all that you say we must do, we will do. We want to be part of your covenant people. And we see that uh, in, in, in a form of making certain offerings where they made uh, sacrificed bulls and they sacrificed certain um, animals, they make what we call a blood covenant with the Lord. Um, and we see that the blood that came from the sacrifice that uh, Moses takes half of the blood and he sprinkles it on the altar and he takes the other half of the blood and he sprinkles it on the people. Why is this done? You see, why this is done is because it's sort of like a symbol to show that once again, the people are saying, Lord, we want to belong to you. And God says, you are my people. So the blood that is sprinkled on the altar represents the people saying, Lord, we want to belong to you. And the blood that's sprinkled on the people is God saying, you are my people. Um, so here we see that. God is telling his people not only that he wants to be in a relationship with them and that the blood of the sacrifice is sort of a, a renewal of the covenant, you know, a, a reestablishing of the covenant. But we see that he also tells them in Exodus 23 verse 32 that they should make no other covenant with other gods or with other nations around them. That their loyalty, the all for one and one for all, should only be between, between them and between God. 
After they promised to be in this covenant relationship with God at the foot of Mount Sinai, we see that God calls Moses up into the mountain so that he could give them the the particulars of the covenant. You see, in the beginning, he sort of just said, I want to be your people. You must be my God and you must obey me. And they said yes, but they didn't yet know the particulars of what exactly it meant to obey the Lord. And Moses goes up into Mount Sinai and he comes back down and he sees that already the Israelites have broken their covenant with the Lord. Already they have made a golden calf and they're busy worshiping you know other other gods and doing all kinds of funny things which is contrary to their covenant with the lord and we see in exodus 34 verse 10 that once again moses comes and he says to them that they need to now renew that covenant the covenant that they just made 40 days ago you know before he went up onto the mountain he says guys you've already forgotten you need to renew your covenant and moses brings before them the 10 commandments the detailed explanation of exactly what it means to be in a covenant relationship with the Lord. And he says to them um, that they must, you know, um, obey the Lord and that God will do his part of the covenant. He will drive out the nations, the heathen nations before them and give them their land. Um, But he says, you have to observe what I command you today. You got to destroy these pagan altars, you know, these these golden calves that you have made. Um, You shouldn't make a covenant with these other gods. You shouldn't have any other gods before me. And you need to remember that I delivered you from Egypt, Exodus 34 verse 18. You need to celebrate the the, the feast of the unleavened bread each year at the particular time so that you will not forget what I have done on my side in order to set you free. I delivered you from Egypt. I have promised you land. Um, I have protected you in in, in the desert so far. And therefore, I'm asking you to observe these 10 commandments. And we see that once they receive the 10 commandments, that Moses takes these 10 commandments and he places them inside what is called the Ark of the Covenant. In Numbers 14, verse 44 and Numbers 10 verse 33 we see an interesting thing about the Ark of the Covenant. We see that the Ark of the Covenant always moved before the people of the Lord. Um, At the end of the story just before they enter into the promised land we see that the Ark of the Covenant um, and the priest that carried it stops in the middle of the Jordan River and the Jordan River clears up and the people go through in safety. We see the Ark of the Covenant moving in front of the people as they circle Jericho and we see Jericho falling um, in in order for the people to inhabit it. And then we see in 1 Samuel 4 verse 3 that we see that the people of Israel say, go and fetch the Ark of the Covenant while we are at war with the nations around us so that the Lord will save us because the Ark of the Covenant is amongst us. We see here that the Ark of the Covenant and and the, the tablets of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments that are found inside of it, is sort of like a symbol to Israel of the presence of God. And wherever the presence of God is with them, we see deliverance taking place. We see the Lord going ahead of his people and making a way for them, delivering them, giving them land and making sure that they are always safe. In other words, when God is in their presence, then they are safe. And now God is recall is, is sort of calling them once again, saying to them, you know, observe my commands. The covenant is not just one-sided. It's not just God doing things for you. It's not just God miraculously giving you land and driving out nations before you and, and, and multiplying your descendants and, and, and sort of delivering you from whatever ails you. But God is saying that this covenant relationship is a two-sided covenant relationship. Remember where
where you made that promise first at the foot of of Mount Sinai. Remember when I made the covenant with Abraham and he said that he would keep this covenant and he would teach his children to keep the covenant, this relational covenant with God. It's a two-sided affair. And now God comes with the particulars of the covenant to Israel where he says to them that you need to keep the Ten Commandments, that you need to destroy any trace of any covenant or relationship with any other God and, and be in a pure covenantial relationship with God alone. And God says, I will go before you, but what will you do in return? And we see the particulars of the covenant coming out in the Ten Commandments, not just for the people of Israel as a reestablishment of their covenant with God, but for us today as well. We see the parties involved. Who was this covenant the Ten Commandments made with? We see a, a specific promise that is given by God. We see a relationship condition. We see that God promises that he will deliver us. We see certain conditions for this covenant and we see certain tokens. Let me explain. So if we look at the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 13 and onwards, we see that the Lord says that I am the Lord your God. In other words, the covenant involves this reestablishment of communion and communication and relationship with God. God makes a declaration. He doesn't say I can be your God. He says I am your God by, by virtue of what I did for you, dying for you. I am your God. He says and I have delivered you out of Egypt. In other words, he is reminding the people what he has done on his side of the, the, the covenant. He says, I am your God. I have delivered you out of Egypt. And he says, don't make any other covenants with other gods. He says, have no other gods before me. Don't worship any idols. Don't use my name in vain. You should show absolute respect for me. And then comes the condition. You see, this, this relational covenant is not only between us and God, but it is between us, God, and others. And we see this sort of coming out in the Ten Commandments, the covenant that God makes with us and with others. He says, I have done what I need to do in terms of delivering you. I have delivered you from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of Egypt. Um, I am your God, but what will you do in response? You need to let go of any other idols in your life. Anything that takes its place, takes God's place in your life, you need to put aside. You need to show respect for God. You need to love God first. In other words, make that covenant with God that I am your child, Lord. And then not only with God, but with the people around you. Because you see, we need to be not only in a covenantial relationship with God, but with God's children as well. Because the covenant is not just for now here upon this earth, but it is a covenantial promise that one day God will grant us eternal life, that we will be in heaven, not just with God, but with other people as well. And therefore, our relationship should be restored here on earth, not just with God, but with other people as well. And that's why the last part of the commandments are about our relationship with other people, where it says we should honor our mothers and our fathers. We should not murder. We should not commit adultery or steal or bear false witness against our neighbor. We shouldn't cover that which our neighbor has. So we truly see in the Ten Commandments that this one for all and all for one is coming out. Where God says, I am your God, one for all. I have delivered you, one for all. And now it must be all for one. All for one in the sense that we have a relationship with God, 
But we also have a relationship with other people and bring them into a relationship with God so that it can be not just all for one in the sense of us for God, but us for God for others, if that makes sense. And then we also see that there is a specific sign or a specific token that we find right in the middle of the Ten Commandments where the Lord says, there is something that you need to do that will show this relationship between me, you and others, a sign that you will keep. And we find this in the fourth commandment where the Lord says that you will keep the Sabbath as a sign. Exodus 31 verse 16, he says, the sign of this everlasting covenant between you and me is the sign of the Sabbath where you rest upon the seventh day. God says, I rested upon the seventh day. Therefore, you rest upon the seventh day. You are my people. I am your God. And the way that you show this is by keeping my Sabbath day holy. So we see here that God is extending his covenant. His covenant is extended not just to Israel at Mount Sinai. His covenant is not just with Joshua and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob or with Noah. But his covenant is with us, his people today as well. Where the Lord says, I want to reestablish my relationship with you. I want you to reestablish your relationship with me and with others. Um, And I want you to keep a sign between us. You see, the signs of the olden days are no longer the signs that we keep. We see in Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 the extension of this promise where he says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps his covenants of mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments unto thousands of generations. So we see that God doesn't break his covenant. The one for all is always assured. God says, everything I have done is for you. Everything I'm going to do is for you and I will do it. And then the Lord does his part first. This is the interesting thing. God died for us, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners. He has already delivered us even before we have said, yes, Lord, we want to be part of this covenant. Just as much as the Ark of the Covenant went before Israel, we see God goes before us and does his part first without us even having to do anything, lifting a finger. God delivers us. He protects us. He promises us land. Jesus said that one day he will go. And he will bring us to the house that he has prepared for us. He says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I've gone to prepare a place for you, I will come and I will take you so that you will be with me also. So we see that Jesus is promising to us the same kind of covenant that he made with Israel. He says, I'm going to prepare land for you. I've already delivered you through my death. I'm going to prepare a land for you. I've protected you thus far in your life. But now your part of the covenant is is that you need to obey his commandments. In other words, that you must now um, worship him as Lord and Lord alone and that you must do good unto others. That is the commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is your part of the covenant. Um, Your part of the covenant shows that you are indeed God's people, that you are declaring, Lord, we will do everything that you have asked. We want to be your people. So today, as we are going to partake of the communion, it is a renewal of that covenant that God originally made with Abraham, with Moses, with Joshua, with Israel. Jesus calls it the new covenant in my blood. And it doesn't involve circumcision or sacrifices of animals or the Passover feast. You see, he says he's making a new covenant with new symbols. He says there is a token, a sign that we accept this covenant. And this is the keeping of the Sabbath 
Sabbath day. But then once we have established this sign and this covenant by keeping the Sabbath and also by being baptized, that's another sign and a token that we accept the covenant between us and God. Once you've been baptized and you keep the Sabbath day as a, as a, as a sign that you agree with his conditions for you being his people, then there is something which is called the renewal of the covenant. You see, Israel also had a renewal of the covenant. The original covenant was that they would be circumcised. And even though they were circumcised, sometimes they went away from the covenant. And then God said to them, the feast of the unleavened bread is there so that you will remember how I delivered you. And the sacrifices that you will make along the way, you know, um, will also be a reminder that, 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 um, you are still in a covenant relationship with him. It's a renewal of that covenant relationship. So yes, when we got baptized, um, we made that covenant with the Lord. And then we also promised to keep his Sabbath days holy in the Ten Commandments as a sign between us that we are his people and he is our God. But then once in a while, you know, we like Israel too, harden our hearts and we do dwindle from the way of the Lord. We dwindle from our covenant. And then the Lord says, then we partake of the Lord's Supper, the communion. It's a renewal of that covenant. And today we're going to renew that covenant. You see, God did his part um, through the deliverance of sin and death by his death and his blood. He promised us heaven. He promised us land. He says, I am your God. And then he says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So here we literally see that Jesus has kept his part. He has died our sacrifice. He has lived for us and he is now in heaven interceding on our behalf. And our part is summarized in Luke ten twenty seven that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart strength and with all our mind and our neighbor as ourselves we see the establishment of this right this renewal right in mark chapter 14 verse 22 to 24 where it says and as they did eat jesus took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them and said to them eat this is my body and he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank of it and he said unto them this is my blood which confirms the covenant between god and his people and it is poured out as a sacrifice for many so in this covenant relationship, we see that we are transformed. We see that the covenant is not just a renewal where we say, Lord, we are yours and you are ours. But it is a covenant relationship that is so powerful that it transforms the darkest sinner into a child of God. It is not just saying I am your child, but it is truly becoming a child of God. Um, this relational covenant that we have with Jesus um, will cleanse us and will deliver us. The most beautiful example of this is seen in the story of Mary Magdalene, who we believe was involved in prostitution. Um, we see that just before Jesus is crucified, they are sitting in the house of Simon, where in humiliation, we see Mary coming to Jesus and washing his feet with her tears, breaking a bottle of alabaster oil onto his feet and anointing him, showing that he is her God. And in thankfulness, humbling herself, expressing her gratitude for him having 
covered and forgiven her many sins, having delivered her, and she dries his feet with her hair. You see, this was forbidden by the Jewish custom. She was a harlot, a woman who even those who were in the room described as unclean, and the laws of the cust- and customs of the Jewish nation at that time forbid that you come in contact with anybody that was declared unclean. And we see that as she's busy washing Jesus' feet, the men around Jesus say, if he had known what type of woman this was, he would not let her touch him. But we see Jesus knows the status of this lady. Um, He knows her past. He knows her heart. He sees her sincerity. Um, And he sees how she approaches him with humility and with sorrow and thankfulness. And we see that not only does she stoop down and wash his feet, but he stoops down to her level. He allows her into his personal space. He allows the unclean to touch the clean. And we see that as he enters into her presence and she enters into his, a kind of relationship being formed, a kind of relational um, moment taking place here. We see that as Jesus enters into a relationship with this woman, we see that the unclean becomes clean. We see that in the presence of Jesus, somebody that is unacceptable becomes acceptable. We see that in the presence of Jesus, somebody that is filthy becomes clean. We see the outcast becoming part of the family of Jesus. We see the broken one healed. We see in the presence of Jesus that joy takes place, the place of mourning. We see that fear is replaced with faith, hope, and love. We see in the presence of Jesus, we can become what we were originally designed to be. And we see this in the example of the story of Mary Magdalene as she comes into the presence, as she comes into a relational covenant with Jesus. You see, she already accepted what he was going to do on her behalf. She already said, Lord, you are my savior and I am your child. Do with me inside of me what you need to do. I am yours and you are mine. One for all and all for one. So today we're going to partake in this kind of communion meal, in the kind of humiliation which Mary Magdalene partook of and which Jesus himself partook of in the upper room. We are going to partake in the foot washing where Jesus demonstrates how you and I are in a relational covenant with him, where he washes our feet, where he cleanses us, where he takes away our sins and where we also see that not only does he do this for us symbolically as he did it for the disciples but we see that he says in john 13 verse 14 that just as he washed the disciples feet he says now you too should wash one another's feet so at this time what we're going to do is we're going to start to partake of this communion sacrifice that christ did for us we're going to take some time to wash one another's feet fulfilling the part of the covenant where it is all for one, where we love one another, where we're going to take a moment to wash one another's feet. And I recommend that while you wash one another's feet, to also pray for one another and with one another. And when you are done, we're going to continue with the communion feast. So at this time in the audio, I'm going to take some time to play a five-minute song for you. Um, During this song, you can start by washing one another's feet. If it takes a little bit longer than five minutes, you can just pause the audio and continue doing the foot washing. 
writing and once you are done you can continue by listening to the audio's words so i invite you now to take the time to go with your family with your friends who are with you today and to wash one another's feet and to pray for one another and to reestablish that that horizontal covenant where we say lord yes just as you symbolically washed our feet like you washed the disciples feet lord we too want to wash one another's feet let's do this now
now that we've washed one another's feet, the beautiful thing about this is that it is sort of a renewal of the original covenant that we made with the Lord when we were baptized. For those of you who have been baptized by the watery grave, we know that we confirmed in our baptismal vows that we belong to the Lord and that the Lord belongs to us, that we are his people and he is our God. The second part of the communion rite after the foot washing is to partake of the bread and the grape juice, the wine that the Bible speaks of. And we see that the the different apostles saw this covenant renewal in its various parts. We see in John 6 verse 53 that part of the covenantial renewal is a promise of eternal life, a deliverance from death. And eternal life involves that promise of heaven, the land that God will give us one day. We see that Luke sees it as an all for one. Luke 22 verse 17 says that we should share the good news of salvation with others and when we partake of the communion meal. In other words, he's saying that this covenantial relationship is not just about us and God, but it's about us, God and others. And then we see Matthew in Matthew 26 verse 28, where he says that it is a memorial, that it is a time where we remember what God has done for us. Um, we reflect on Jesus' sacrifice and how he forgives our sins how he has delivered us. Just like in the time of Israel, um, the various rites were a remembrance of what Christ had done for them in delivering them from the bondage of Egypt. And we see also in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, that it's not just an all for one, but a one for all. Um, it says, at that time, when we partake of the communion, we announce Jesus' death until he comes. In other words, once again, it is us saying, Jesus is for us. When we partake of communion, we are remembering that it is his blood that has been shed for us. And it is also the reestablishing of the covenant, says Mark 14 verse 24, where we reestablish that covenant that we once made with the Lord when we were baptized. Paul writes and he says how we should partake of this covenant of the bread and the wine. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23, we see how Jesus did it and how Paul says we should do it. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night which he was portrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup. And when he had supped, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. So here we see the example of how Jesus and the disciples partook of the cup and of the bread. He says, first, they thanked the Lord and they prayed for the bread and for the wine. And then they partook of the bread. And after they partook of the bread, then they partook of the grape juice. So basically what we're going to do now is we're going to do the same. Just as Paul says here, in remembrance of the Lord, we're going to do it not just as a reestablishment of a covenant of blood, but we're going to do it looking back on the deliverance that the Lord has already given us and we're going to now take some time to pray and then I will invite you and your family to take some time to sit together and you can do a prayer for you guys as well if you would like um, and then to partake of the bread and to partake of the wine during this time as you partake I'm going to play a song once again I'm going to it's going to be five minutes long and you can listen to the song as you partake of the bread and of the wine but before we do so I'm going to take some time to pray a blessing over the bread and to pray a blessing over over the wine. So I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes right now. 
Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to look back on all that you have done for us. And in the symbol of partaking of the bread and the wine today, we realize that you have given your life in our stead. Lord, that you have delivered us and that you have declared that you are our God. And we thank you for this part of the covenant that you have established with us way before we even asked for us, while we were yet sinners. And we pray that you will bless the bread, just as you blessed the bread when Jesus broke it the first time, that you will bless the grape choose just as Jesus blessed it the first time when he prayed for it Lord and that as we partake as families today Lord that we will that we will remember the great sacrifice that you did and in thankfulness for what you have done Lord that we will like Israel of all declared Lord we will do as you ask we will be your people we will obey your side our side of the covenant where we will make you our God and that we will love those around us our neighbors around us and do good unto them Lord bless this food now as we're going to partake of it and Lord as we are going to remember what you have done Lord may you bless us and renew us and cleanse us from within in this relational covenant with you just as you did for Mary Magdalene this is my prayer in your name amen so the song will be playing now and if you need a little bit more time after the song before we continue you can pause the, uh, the audio and then we will continue after that in a closing prayer and song Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. 
Having eaten the bread and drank the grape juice, we are declaring that we accept Christ's death on our behalf for our forgiveness and sins. We are also making a promise that we will partake of this symbolic death by daily dying to sin. In other words, not partaking of sin anymore, not making covenants with the world and the things of this world and the sin of this world. That we are saying, Lord, we are laying aside our idols. We are establishing the covenant with you alone, that we will die daily unto death. And Lord, where we falter, we will come again and we will make a reestablishment of a covenant with you. We see Mark chapter 14, verse 24 to 26, saying that after the disciples partook of the, 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 the communion meal, the Lord's Supper, that they... They, they, they established this covenant and then they went out in joy, having being happy that they were now made right with God. Mark 14 verse 24 says, And he said unto them, This is my blood in the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of this fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And this is such a beautiful promise. It's part of this covenantal promise where Jesus is saying, you know, he is waiting in anticipation to partake of this Lord's Supper, the communion with us once again when we are in the heavenly sanctuary, when we are with God in heaven. And why is this? Because you see, part of the covenantal promise is to receive land. Part of the covenantal promise is that we will be in that home which Christ has prepared for us. And when we partake of the communion with Jesus in heaven, the covenant will be complete. Salvation will be complete. We would have received every single promise that Christ has made in terms of the covenant and and we should truly when we partake when we've partaken now of this communion meal we should we should be happy we should be joyous knowing that soon and as we look at the, the things that are happening in the world today, that soon this world will come to an end and we will be taken to our promised land where we will once again sit with the Lord and we will complete this covenantial relationship where we will be in a renewed relationship with him completely, never to be separated from him ever again by sin. And the Bible tells us that after the Lord had made them this promise that the covenant will be completed one day in heaven, that they sang a hymn and then they went out into the Mount of Olives. So I'm going to invite you to sing with me in closing a song that you might know well and I will also send a video clip to those of you who are on WhatsApp with the audio words on it. When the roll is called up yonder, as we look forward to that day when we will receive our promised land, where we will be in a face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus, where the covenant of re-established relationship of communion and communication will be complete. Let us sing with joy as we look forward to that and as we remember all that Christ has done for us on his side of re-establishing this covenant. May God bless you. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair when the Savior shall gather over on the other shore and the Called up yonder, I'll be there. When the road, when the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the road, when the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the road, when the road is called up yonder. When the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning, when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share 
When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies And the road is called up yonder, I'll be there When the road, when the road is called up yonder, I'll be there Oh, no.